This is the Beyond Belief Sobriety Podcast, where we examine topics of interest to people who seek a secular path to recovery from addictions of all kinds. I'm here with uh, Matt M., and he is somebody I have just met recently via email. I ran across him through um, someone else who I happened to find on the internet, and he discovered our podcast and listened to some episodes, and I thought, boy, it'd be nice to have you on, Matt. So thank you for agreeing to be here. Welcome to Beyond Belief. Uh, Thanks for having me. So um, generally what we do here, as you know from the episodes you listen to, is kind of get to know somebody through their recovery story. I wonder if you wouldn't mind kind of introducing us that way, where where you got started off and, re, you know, what brought you into recovery and how you're doing today. And we'll just let a conversation flow from that. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Matt and I'm an alcoholic. Um, my sobriety date is, um, we call it October 15th of 2008. I'm not really sure that that's the right date uh, because I wasn't intending on recovering. I know a lot of people are in the same spot, but that's uh, that's what we decided was a pretty close approximation of my date. Um, so I, I've uh, heard a lot of people tell their stories about a slow descent into alcoholism. That's not my story. Uh, the first time I drank... You know, I'm the, the youngest of four Irish twins. So that means each of my brothers were born a year apart. So I did everything at an earlier age than everybody else because I was the last one. Two sets so of twins first, in your family? Two sets of twins? No, no, no. It's called Irish twins oh. when you're one year apart. Oh, so in, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's, you know, that's actually something I never heard before. Oh, it's, it's, um, All right. yeah. gotcha. my mother was 21 when she had me All and right. I was her fourth kid. So she was pretty busy. Gotcha. Um, and um, the first time I drank was between seventh and eighth grade. And I joke about this. I drank the exact same amount that I always drink, which is all of it. You know, I drank enough to tip over, get sick, run out or whatever. And I drank all of the armoretto I had that I could get. And then I tipped over. And um, that was my first experience with drinking. And I would say all the way up until I got into high school, you know, a kid that age doesn't have a lot of access to, to drugs and alcohol, but I got whatever I could. I took whatever I could. I, um, I did as many chemicals as I could. I had gotten, you know, some PCP laced marijuana when I was probably 14 from a Grateful Dead concert. I was really kind of off the rails um, by the time I started high school. That's the first time that I had decided that I was going down the wrong path. I left campus at lunchtime with a known drug user and I got good and stoned and I was carrying marijuana with me and I came back on onto the, the campus and um, one of the football coaches caught me and I was very into football. It was something I really loved to do. And I was a freshman and he was a sophomore coach and he pulled me aside and he said, I just asked, I was wearing my jersey because it was a Friday. Okay, you know, you do that before the game. And I was, he said, I just checked, you're Matt McDermott. You're this kid who's supposed to be so good at football, and you just left with that girl, and I know what you guys did. And I was like, I was scared, shitless. And he said, he's, he's a very good friend of mine now, but he said, you know, Matt, I'm not going to frisk you. I'm not going to search you. I'm going to let you go back into school, but you're going to make a decision. Either you're going to do drugs and alcohol or you're going to do wrestling and football. 
at that point, at that moment, I decided, hey, you know what? He's right. I don't need to be messing around. So so I guess I was probably 14 or 15, and I decided I need to stop. I, I, this is crazy. It's not helping me. And it would be a pretty boring story if that was the end of it, but it's not. <laughs> so what I did for the first few years of high school is um, as soon as the football season started, I stopped all chemical use. I didn't do anything for the entire football season, which took us into November. And then for the entire winter wrestling season up until March, I did no drugs, no alcohol. And then as soon as wrestling ended, the summer season started. During the the, the spring and summer wrestling, I would only do drugs and alcohol Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I wouldn't do it Thursday or Friday or Saturday because I thought that that was the way to go. And it worked. I mean, it worked. I was, you know, I was taking care of what I had to take care of. I was getting very good grades at school. I was, um, I was a starting as a, as a junior, I was a starting linebacker on a nationally ranked football team. And I was, um, you know, I was a nationally ranked wrestler. It was unbelievable. Everything was great. And, um, I had, I sustained a very serious injury um, halfway through the summer season of my junior year. And I grew up in a, in a, in a kind of a working class area and my parents were incredibly busy and we ran wild during the summer. And when I injured myself, I, I went completely off the rails. I mean, I, I was, uh, I was working for my father's construction company. I had money. At 16, I had a full beard. I'm right off the west side of Chicago. I could go buy whatever booze I wanted. I can get whatever I wanted, and I did. And I went, I went nuts. Um, and this is really the first time that I had any real consequences from drinking. By the by, about June, about a month before the national tournament in wrestling, I was cleared by the doctor to wrestle. And they, they said, you can, you can join the team. You can wrestle the nationals, which was, which was quite an honor. And there was no way I could do it. I was so far gone. I couldn't, and all I, all I said was, you know, my, my, I dislocated my elbow and it's just not healed enough. I can't do it. I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm sorry. I, I have to pass because of my physical injuries. And that was really, that marked the first time that I was really not honest with myself or with anybody in the entire world. I didn't tell one soul that the reason I'm not competing in nationals is because, I, because I've gone too far off the deep end. And I um, made it through the summer. I survived. And when it was time for football, I was just tired of it anyway. So I, I did my regular plan. I stopped drinking. I stopped drugs for the football season. Had a pretty average football season. And then um, wrestling, I stayed clean for wrestling. The year before... I didn't lose my first match until the last match of the season as a junior. As a sit senior, I lost my first match. And I, I was a really disappointing season. And it happens, but um, I attribute it to, to what I put myself through in the summer. But um, by the time wrestling ended, things had kind of come to a head. My parents were gone a lot. And I ended up really getting carried away with drugs and alcohol. I had had another I had, had another injury in wrestling in the spring season and when I took that time off I went I went nuts. I, I was failing all of my classes and, and um, ended up having a coach intervene and he said, you know, this is more than you can handle yourself. You need help, you need to stop drinking. And I took to it, I accepted it. And it wasn't a 12-step program, but it was, you know, I went to a counselor and I kind of addressed the issues. I told him what I was doing. And he said, that's insane. That's not how you deal with alcoholism. You don't quit drinking sometimes. So what I, so I, 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 um, 
quit the chemicals and I decided I was going to stay sober forever, no matter what. And, um, it worked for a while. I mean, I, I, I was able to, um, put together a really good, um, spring and summer wrestling tournament. Um, I had lost all hope of scholarships because of my, my winter season. And then I ended up placing a national. So I was back. I got money to go to college to wrestle and everything. So I was pretty happy. I was sober for a while. I would say I was sober for three years, two years, maybe starting college. Things were great. Um, I, you know, I, I wrestled, uh, I took a, a wrestling tour in Europe and I was the only sober wrestler on the entire tour. And I was really, um, I was really having a lot of success. And then same story. Um, my second season in college, I had an injury I didn't think I could recover from. And I went from getting, <laughs> from getting A's and B's to failing all of my classes. No, no scholarship. I was gone. I, I was, I no longer was welcome at that school. You were a young person. I'm wondering, what were you thinking? Like you were in high school, you were in high school and you had someone talking to you about alcoholism. Did you connect that you could possibly have a problem with alcohol at that age? I knew the very first time I took a drink. By then, it was in the 19, late 70s, early 80s, and they were talking about it in health class. The very first time I touched alcohol, I knew that I had a problem with alcohol. I knew that it was not a good mix for me. See, I, you and I have something in common because I also was having problems early in life, and I also went to high school in the 1970s. So, um, but um, for me, I guess I was 19 years old when I first started thinking that I had a problem, but I kept telling myself I was too damn young, but you, you knew that's why I find so amazing. So you had this information, but you, it didn't really, it wasn't enough to really get you to really do anything at that time anyway. Not at that time, but when I, when I failed out of college or left college, whatever you want to say, my parents weren't real interested in helping out financially because I had, I was getting paid to go to college and I decided that it was too hard. So um, I came back to Chicago, started working, uh, put myself through a, a few more years of college, got, you know, and I, I quit drinking fairly soon before I was 21. I quit and this time it lasted for a long time. And um, to be perfectly honest with you, I stopped drinking, no, didn't address any other issues, no 12-step program or anything. But basically, uh, my dreams came true. It was the life that I never thought I could have. You know, I wasn't really able to compete much in wrestling, but I was coaching and I met my wife. And I think it was, I would say I had a pretty good to go for about eight or nine years. Um, we got married, we started our family and I would like, it wasn't the sobriety I have now. I mean, maybe once or twice, you know, I, I think I had five years of no drinking at all. And then after that, once or twice a year, I would drink a little bit or not a little bit. I would drink until I passed out, but I don't know, at some point it snowballed and I, I just started, I wasn't an everyday drinker right away. It started where after work on Friday at three o'clock, I would start drinking and it's weird because once I started, I wouldn't stop. But when three o'clock on Sunday came around, I would stop drinking because I didn't want to work hungover. And it was like that for a while. And then, you know, I had my first house I owned in Phoenix. And the first exception I had to my drinking rules, because I had a lot of rules to moderate <laughs> drinking. My, my first exception was if I was working on the roof mm. in Phoenix on my air conditioning unit in the summer, I was allowed to drink. And it didn't matter if it was Thursday or Wednesday. And it if didn't you matter were working on the morning. roof, you would be allowed to <laughs> I was allowed to drink. Yeah, I don't don't ask me. It doesn't make sense. But um, other exceptions followed, and, and it it, um, it got to the point where um, you know where I was where I was drinking. I, by the time it ended, I did that that went on for eight or nine years. And by the time it ended, I was drinking every day. I was I was drinking hard liquor, um, 
and I was I was absolutely miserable. I knew it, it was something that that couldn't go on. I had a car accident. I didn't get a DUI or anything. I don't know if I could have or not. I hadn't been drinking before I drove, but I was drinking the night before and I was drinking vodka. So I don't know. I don't know where I, what I would have blown, but I wasn't asked to. I was glad, but that was kind of a, a wake up. I totaled the car. I was uninjured. At that point, my wife was really, really fed up with me. I was pretty fed up with myself. I wasn't, um, I wasn't achieving what I wanted to. I mean, I always had a job. I always provided for my family and everything, but that was it. I was doing the bare minimum. And I, I just, uh, I had put in some windows for uh, a wrestling coach I had known for years. This is a couple months before I came into the program. And he didn't, um, you know, he, at the time, he didn't have a ton of money. And I needed a work van, and he had a real crappy van. I said, I'll tell you what. It would have been four or 500 for the windows. Give me the van and we'll call it even. And he said, great. And I got the van and, and I'd known this guy since 1982. You know, I've known him forever. And I never clued in because I'm a little selfish sometimes that he was an alcoholic. And sitting on the passenger seat, there was a pamphlet <laughs> for alcoholism. If you ever, if you ever need help, this is, this is, uh, this is the way to go about it. And I made a mental note of that. And when I decided that it was time to, to, to get sober, I had done other sobriety things with my wife. And I knew that the other things weren't going to work. I knew it was time that I needed to give myself a little breathing room. I needed to catch my breath for a couple months and then I could go back to life. But I couldn't do it just by telling her I was going to stop. I had to go talk to this guy. I had to tell her, yeah, I'm going to go talk to Niall. I'm going to try to get involved in AA and I'm going to really address this. And I didn't really intend on doing it, but I intended on starting the process. So I went went and talked to him and, and basically... You know, we had a nice talk and I was thinking this talk will be over soon and I can get home and I had some vodka stashed and I was fine with that. I was going to do this for a couple months, then I was going to get on with my life. And right as I was leaving, he said, hey, do you think you could stay sober till you call me tomorrow? And I don't know why I, you know, I answered right away. I said, yeah, yeah, sure. I can do that. I mean, I can, you know, for one day. And that's what I did. I went home and I have no idea why I poured the vodka out. And I don't know exactly what date that was, but it was sometime in the middle of October in 2008. And I started going to meetings with him. And that's, you know, as of now, that's the last time I drank. What was your initial impression of the meetings when you were, when you started attending? My sponsor is, um, picture an Irish Catholic from Ireland. That's, that's my sponsor. He's, he's a very religious person. And the first meeting I went to, and the one that I went to, as my home meeting for the first couple of years was, was a second step meeting. My initial impression was that I was joining a cult, that I was part <laughs> of a religious organization, but I loved the community of it. I loved the fellowship. And I, I was just, uh, I was shocked that, that some of the people I ran into were people that I had known and really respected. And I couldn't believe that they were suffering from the same problem I was. So it was because of, because it was AA, I'd never been involved in, in, a religious, as, as in any religion as a participant since I was a child. But I had studied religion. I majored in philosophy and, and I really focused on religion as, as a non-believer. But um, my first impression was that there were some, some nice people who were suffering from the same thing I was. That was the main thing I remember now, 12 years later. I don't know if that's really, really what I was thinking. I, that was me too. Uh, that's what made the difference for me. I mean, I remember looking at the steps and the traditions that were on the wall and the first step and the third tradition made sense to me. And I was really happy to see that uh, the rest of the stuff looked really mysterious and weird. But when the people shared their stories with me, well, the thing about it was they gave me hope because 
they could describe how they felt about their drinking and the problems that they had because of their drinking. And even though the problems might not have been identical to mine, I could understand how they felt about those problems. And the weird thing about it was they were outside of the problem. So they were sitting there like wearing their suits. They had jobs and everything. And they were talking about as in the past tense, they're drinking. And it just kind of inspired me and gave me hope that, you know, I, I could do that. Um, so I was able to kind of put aside all the, um, cause I'm like you, I, I did not go to, I, I have no religious background whatsoever. And the God stuff and the praying and everything was foreign to me, but I was able to kind of put that aside and maybe make it work somehow because the people. Yeah. And uh, you know what? Um, I think one of my biggest surprises in this program is the way my sponsor reacted to my religious beliefs. Because I didn't, I expected things to be shoved down my throat. I really did. I mean, I've heard horror stories about people who try to get involved with something like AA and it doesn't work for them if they're, if they're, if they're agnostic or atheist. And my sponsor said right away, he said, I have, I, I don't even care what your religious views are. I don't care if, how you pray. I don't care what you do. I just think that you've landed in that chair because your life wasn't going the way that you wanted it to. So you're going to have to make some changes and it's going to start by you not believing that you're making all the right decisions and and just kind of let go and trust other people or trust, figure out a higher power. And he didn't make me define it. I didn't define my higher power for years and he didn't care. He just said, you know, keep coming to meetings. And for me, I mean, honestly, I've been at this for, for over 12 years and I, I, I never have more than, you know, I never have a week when I don't go to a meeting. My regular schedule is three meetings a week. And a couple of them, at least one of them is a traditional meeting where, where you, you read, you know, you do all the readings and stuff. I can't recite the 12 steps and I'm not going to be able to because they're just not that important to me. Interesting. Um, the important thing is like what we're doing right now, because this counts as a meeting. I don't know. This is what um, this is what brings me to my sobriety is the fellowship of the meetings. And I have I mean, I've sponsored people who are very religious and I've sponsored people who are atheist and it doesn't matter, you know. So tell me that sponsor, I like that sponsor, by the way. So he, he gives you the freedom to experience your recovery as you choose to. He's not forcing you to do steps and et cetera. No, we did. We worked the steps going through and we really, as far as the real God centered steps, we didn't, um, we really didn't focus on them too much. Um, he was really concerned with making amends. Yeah. And that that part of it, and um, he was very concerned with going forward in a proper manner. Don't don't you know? Don't do things. You know, I mean, like one of the things that I didn't understand at first, and I do now, is he said, you know, don't don't tell anybody you're sorry. You've said that enough. You were an alcoholic. You were a drinking alcoholic. You've said that enough. Tell people that you should have acted differently, and it'll be different for them and you. Don't don't accept responsibility. Understand you've made a mistake and move on. Don't say you're sorry because you've said that enough. Wow, you were sure you were sure fortunate to meet him. That's really really lucky. I I ran into some people who tried to get me to conform, and I did end up conforming to their idea of what I should be believing and doing and saying. So that was really great that he gave you that that liberty to to define it yourself. It's important. It, it was it was huge. Um, it was absolutely huge. And I found out just recently, we have a small meeting that during the pandemic, I open up my wood shop, which is a large floor space, so we can have a meeting with five or six people spaced out. And we're doing, um, it's just you do the daily reflections, and then um, you have a meeting on that. 
And a lot of times he picks up the book and, and reads it. And I didn't, he'd been doing this for a whole year and I didn't realize it. When I did the reading one, one Saturday, I was like, wow, this is a lot about God. And, and Niall, that's my sponsor. Um, he said, you know, Matt, I always replace the word God with higher power for you and Jeff. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know how you guys are. And I just think it's easier for you guys to digest higher power than right, God. Right, right. So that's, is he uh, you talking about the Daily Reflections book? Is yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty, pretty um, heavy with the God stuff, isn't it? Well, yeah, and like when I do the reading, I'll do the reading and I'll do the meditation. I won't read the prayer. And they're okay. the people at the meeting, um, it's 50-50. There's some of the people are religious and traditional AA and some of them aren't, and that's fine. But it's it's it just it's it's the main thing that my sponsor was concerned about, and this is what I learned from him, is the main thing is it works for me. And you know, it I'm not sure where you're work. located. Are you like in the Chicago area? I'm just I'm just uh, west of Chicago. I'm in the uh, I'm in Oak Park, where uh, Frank Lloyd Wright is from, and where Ernest Hemingway is from. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, so we're, have, supposed to, we're supposed to tell somebody that whenever we tell them. It's okay. <laughs> so uh, obviously, Chicago is where secular AA meetings started. So were you were you familiar with there with there being these secular meetings, and have you attended any of those? Yeah, it's um, we we have uh, two quad A meetings which is uh, Alcoholics Anonymous for Atheists and Agnostics in Oak Park. Um, and one of them was on a night I couldn't make it. Um, the other one I, I've attended, I don't love the meeting. It's really crowded and it's really long. But um, after the meeting, um, they get together at a local restaurant. And I often go to the restaurant and meet up with them after the meeting. But yeah, no, and it's it's fine. They do, it's part, it's through the, it's through the club. So they do all of the readings which I think is kind of soft-stepping an atheist meeting if you're reading the prayers, you know. Isn't that funny? You know, um, there's another group, the Cleveland the Cleveland group. Um, I went to their Zoom meeting, and they read how it works when they open their meeting. They're, they're free thinkers, but they read how it works. I remember, for me, I thought, well, that's strange for um, a secular meeting. But you know what? It's whatever. Every group can do its own thing. And for them, you know, they could still read that, and it was totally okay with them and secular uh, in fact, when I attended that meeting, they had me read how it works. Um, you know, there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. <laughs> and I and I read when I was reading it. I was I was like I was like forcing myself to get it out. And, they, and someone said that was a real interesting cadence you had when you read that. It was you read it differently than. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I was like, know, I couldn't believe the words I was saying. That's why <laughs> the meeting that, that that I run, I don't do any any no. prayers at the end, and I don't do. One of the members recites something at the beginning. I don't even really know what it is. But the only thing I do at the beginning of the meeting is just say, "This is a closed meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, you're welcome to attend if you have a sincere desire to stop drinking." And that's about as far as I go with it because that's not what my program is about. I mean, I'm able to. I've had a wandering higher power and I'm perfectly fine with that. It started out as my higher power was a group, which I think a lot of atheists do. And then um, uh, Neil Steinberg wrote a, a book called Drunkard. He's a columnist. Um, it's a, it's a pretty, it's, it's actually a great book. It's a, just how he stopped drinking. And this was hugely important to me. His, his higher power was alcohol. And the way he explained it is I know that if I do battle with, with her, I'm going to lose. I absolutely know that. And he, 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 he's, um, he started in AA and he's not anymore. I don't, he's not a religious man at all. I've met him. I've talked to him. 
and his higher power is alcohol. And it makes perfect sense because um, if you do battle with alcohol, you're going to lose. And I've had two times when I quit drinking and everything I wanted in the entire world I had both times I quit drinking and I gave it up both times. And the reason I gave it up in retrospect was I decided that I could have one drink. I decided that I was going to fight my third or fourth drink, not my first one. And, and I've learned now that I put all my soldiers up against the first drink because, because I can beat that one. I'm not going to beat the second drink. And if I do the first time, next time I'm not going to beat the second drink. I have to beat the first drink. So you also like to listen to recovery podcasts? I, yeah, okay, so I'm, I started running a meeting that was just a book club meeting. Uh, it's been going on for two years now, where we do a different book every two months. And um, we it's a platoon system where every other book is really closely tied to AA. It's a memoir by somebody. It's really related. And then, then the next book will be something like we just did there there by tommy orange which was a novel about native americans we've done um like probably my favorite fiction book was dr sleep by stephen king which is a fantastic book about aa if you really read it carefully absolutely it's not it's not in the movie but it's about aa and sponsorship it starts in an aa meeting and it ends in an aa meeting and it's absolutely allegorical for aa and sponsorship and then uh, another like we did the lost weekend which was a famous book so so that's it started as just that and then when the pandemic started we decided that we should probably have a regular thursday meeting so every thursday i have a meeting that's either based on a podcast a short story, something audio, or a song. And it's it's the same deal with that meeting. Um, every other week, it's something closely tied to the 12 steps. And then the next week, like uh, we, did, we did a song by the Red Hot Chili Peppers that one of the younger members suggested. And it's amazing how quickly, I mean, some of these people are 70 years old and they're talking about how much they just enjoyed a song by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, we've done a story by David Sedaris. We've done, um, you know, and then we do a lot of just like, you know, um, Eric Clapton's story, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan's story, where they just tell, you know, this is what it was like, this is what happened, this is what it's like now. Those meetings are non-religious, 100% non-religious, sure. but it's part of AA. Yeah, um, it's wonderful. And so you'll read it before you get to the meeting, right? So you've all kind of... Yeah, the, yeah. Well, what I do is I try to keep the podcast or I, the content, because it's really it's YouTube videos or podcasts or songs or whatever. I try to keep them under an hour and I send out a link to the members and they, they can either listen to it on their own or I open the zoom meeting. If the content is a half hour, I open the zoom meeting a half hour early and broadcast it because some of the members have trouble with getting stuff. The meeting starts when everybody's listened to it, either they've listened to it on their own or they listened to it with sure. us. I think that's super cool. You know, the, the, I, the more I learn about what is going on in the world of recovery on the internet, people finding either podcasts or social media groups or whatever, and um, using that as part of their recovery, I just think it's amazing. And also YouTube, you mentioned YouTube. There's a lot of great stuff on YouTube and there's some really incredible recovery channels on YouTube 
that I, I'm just kind of learning about. And it's, it's really pretty cool, you know, that you, you've got that information out there. And it's great because, you know, people will consume media in different ways. You know, some people want to read a book. Some people want to listen to a podcast. Some people want to watch a watch a video. So it's great that you have all the different types of, of media for different types of people. Yeah, it works. And the, the, to me, the, the amazing thing is that it is just really easy for people to relate to a story and use that. And, and whatever the media content is works as a lead. And it's really easy for people to take, especially because we're all trained, the people at the meeting are all AA. And it's really easy for them to, to say, okay, you know, they, like uh, the David Sedaris story is um, a story about a cat and a mouse and a frog in prison or something. And, and, it, and David Sedaris is a really well-known author, and he's also an, an alcoholic. And people would listen to that and say, oh, yeah, I felt just like that mink felt. But he had his tell you know, I mean, it's amazing. And it's, it's I, I, like I had said before, probably my most surprising thing is having a 77-year-old man talk about how much, you know, I mean, he asked me if I could get the Red Hot Chili Peppers song to him on a CD so he could put it in his car. And that surprises the hell out of me. <laughs> so tell me this, did this meeting start after COVID? The book club started, be- the book club started before COVID. And then we, I added the podcast after, and it really started because me and one of my sponsors had decided that watching the television show, mom, I love that show meeting as long as we talked about it and we bounced it off my sponsor and he said, Oh sure. If you I guys, love your sponsor, by the yeah. way, <laughs> he said, if you guys watch that and then the two of you sit down and talk about it, that's a meeting and we're not on probation. It doesn't matter. It's all a joke for us, but we're like, Hey Jeff, this counts as a meeting because he rents for me. I have a show, a large area and he rents part of it. And, and when the show was running, we would have a five minute conversation about mom. And then we were also, I love for, that show. For, I thought it was it, a great show. I don't know what's going on with it now. I haven't seen it in a while. I haven't either. But it was, it was closely tied to the program. Clearly. Very, I mean, was, very. You know, I, lo- I, I just, I just got a kick out of it. I, and I don't really watch a lot of television at all, but I would, I would make some time to watch that one. Cause I just, I just loved it. And, but it's been a while since I've watched it. I would always watch like, um, on, I can't remember where it was from, maybe on Amazon prime or something. I'd watch some of the older episodes and stuff. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's cool. That you guys do yeah, that. yeah, you can find it, and yeah, you can find it in a lot of places. And if you just if you just chat with somebody about it, it becomes it becomes, it becomes a meeting. The whole yeah. thing about a meeting is like what you and I are doing right now is a meeting. It's that it's just talking, connecting with each other. You know, um, as people in recovery, I've co- I've come to see that as as the as the key thing to to what keeps me sober. Really, how long how long have you been sober? Um, I'd be, I'll be, it'd be 33 years in July. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, this isn't going to be as bad for you as it is for the people at the meetings. But what I have to say to that is John, if you can stay sober for 33 years, I'm positive that I can go to bed sober tonight. <laughs> and that is, that is my program. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, if you can, nothing against you, but right. if you, if, if you can do it for 33 years, then at the very least I could do it for, you know, I mean, I, I have to make it for another two hours and I can do yes. that. And I have to do it a day at a time too. And it's, it's um, bizarre to me. I was just thinking about it today, about how much, how much time has gone by. It's just, it's just incredible, but yeah. Um, yeah, I'm pretty old. I've been around for a little while, I guess. But my biggest my biggest eye opener 
and probably one of my bigger motivations for staying sober is my son who is now 20. When he was um, probably 18, I was doing something with my brothers. And I don't know if you know this, but alcoholism tends to run in families. And so my brothers were uh, incredibly drunk and incredibly silly. And it was, it was, it wasn't a tra- it wasn't a good drunk. It was a bad drunk. And um, after a while, my son looked at me and said, now this is a kid who's seen me do this. He said, you've never been like that. I mean, you've never been drunk like that, right? I mean, the fact that he didn't remember me getting totally plastered and building toys with them in the yard and doing stupid shit. It just, it just uh, made me so happy. I felt, I felt like I got a redo that I didn't deserve. Ah, that's you know? wonderful. And but that, it is, and it, it's it, people like, it's amazing online. I'm dealing with a lot of people who are newly sober and everything is hard for them. And what I always tell them is, you know, the best thing about it is after you stack a few days together and then weeks and months, after a while, you're no longer thinking about alcohol. It doesn't, it's not part of your life, but also like everybody you deal with, you're not even going to be an ex-drinker. You're just going to be mad. You're just going to be you. It's your, your, it will go away. I mean, there, it, you know, the rearview mirror isn't that bright. Yeah. This, the whole thing with COVID and people getting sober during this time is incredible to me. I couldn't imagine that of having to do that, but it's great that we have so many zoom meetings that people can get to as many meetings as they need to get to. It's nice. I'm glad I wasn't starting out in this. I mean, cause, because I really relied on the, the fellowship. I mean, even, even, in, in 10, 11, 12 years of sobriety, there's a couple AA clubs I go to, but there's one of the main club I go to. And sometimes it's not about anything. I just need to catch my breath or something. And I'll go in there and I'll have a cup of coffee. And whoever's there, you know, we, we won't talk about alcohol. It's not a meeting. How was your day, Gerald? How is everything going? Oh, it's nice to see you, blah, blah, blah. And then you take a couple breaths and you get back to your day, yep. you know? Um, yeah. I relate very well. It was so nice to talk to you. I'm glad that I met you. Um, I'm going to attend your meeting and uh, it's just been great. Your sponsor sounds amazing. I wish I could have had a sponsor like that. I've gone through a lot of different sponsors, but he's a good one. So you want to keep him. Okay. (laughs) All right. Thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, John. That's another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety. Thank you for listening. If you would like to support our podcast with recurring monthly contributions, head on over to patreon.com slash beyondbeliefsobriety or become a member of our YouTube channel. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, then visit our website beyondbeliefsobriety.com and click on the donate button. I do appreciate your support. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety.